Uh, my return to work three weeks ago after my enforced three-month absence was delayed by an hour because of an accident. Thankfully for me, I was not directly involved, but two people were. As I came round from the corner of where we lived to the junction there, a young woman in a red car jumped the lights on amber and smashed into a car driven by a man coming in the opposite direction, who I soon learned when I, much to his surprise, spoke to him in Urdu, uh, was from Pakistan. Uh, neither of the drivers seemed to have suffered any physical injury. We had a job getting the lady out of the car until she finally lifted the button on the thing. We were trying to pull the door off and everything. And the poor, poor lady was in desperate shock, crying and sobbing uncontrollably. And so we rang the, got on the mobile and rang the ambulance. And then I rang the police who said, would I please remain there until they arrived on the scene. Some 15 minutes later they arrived and a young policewoman took my name and address and said I might have to give a statement later on. I've not heard anything since then, so I'm hopeful it's been settled out of court. Uh, but were it to progress, then I imagine I may have to make a statement and maybe even appear in court to testify. Uh, this evening you've heard Claire and Ruth testify, not in court, uh, but in church one, this church building. The church is the people, not the building really. Uh, they've given a brief account of something that they've experienced personally. And although the stories differ, and if you went round this church and asked everybody else for their stories, there'd be a huge variety. But at the heart of each one of them is the person of Jesus Christ and an encounter with him. And in this book, the Bible, uh, there are many accounts of people who first-hand met Jesus when he walked on the earth in flesh and blood almost 2,000 years ago. Uh, these stories are contained, if you don't know how the Bible works, in the New Testament part, there are four Gospels, we call them, which means good news, written accounts, named after the people who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And this evening, before the baptisms, I just want to share with you something about a story which you'll find in the fourth Gospel, in, in John. It's a story about a man, and a man whose story was so incredible that nobody could believe it. And eventually, after repeating it again and again, to people who asked him, he finally kind of ran out of patience and he simply said, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And I want to just look at the story a little more closely uh, with you because I think it's a very important story for each one of us. It has a direct relevance because at its heart, it's about the most important question of all, which is, who is Jesus? Now, if you want to follow with me, it's in the Bible. There are Bibles in the pews. If you can't see one, just ask someone to pass one uh, to you. And you'll find it in John 9. That's chapter 9. And in the church Bibles, it's on page 1075. 1075. And there's stuff that'll come up on the screen which may help you to follow where we're going. And I, I, I want to focus on three themes that you can find in this story. Here's the first one. The first one, the evidence that could not be dismissed. The evidence that could not be dismissed. The man featured in this story is a man who had the misfortune to be born blind. Now that was a particular misfortune in the days he lived with no welfare and social services. His career options were limited. And so, like many people in similar circumstances those days, he became a beggar, asking for people for money or food or whatever. And one day we read that Jesus and his disciples, the twelve men that he chose to follow him, 
were walking down a road somewhere and they came across this man, presumably sitting by the side with a tin or a bowl, begging for money. And seeing him, the disciples, if you look at the story, they asked him a question. Jesus. They said, Rabbi, which is a Jewish word for teacher, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, they assumed, as many people did in those days, and still do in many parts of the world, that if you suffer some kind of misfortune, then somebody must have done something bad, and this is God's way of punishing you for it. Uh, it's not the sort of view that many of us would hold, though a former England football manager lost his job for holding similar views. Uh, Jesus says, you're wrong. Verse 3, what he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God may, might be displayed in his life. As long as it, is, as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, Jesus takes action. Strange action. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes, and said, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam means scent. He sent him to scent. Now, no one's exactly sure why Jesus did this with the saliva and mud. On other occasions, he just spoke the word and people were instantly healed. And I don't have three hours to tell you all the different theories about scholars have suggested why he did this. The important point to notice is the outcome. A dramatic outcome. So the man went, verse 7, and washed and came home seeing. Now, notice what has happened. A man born blind can now see. It's so incredible that people can't believe their eyes, or his eyes. Notice what the neighbours say, verses 8 and 9. The neighbours said, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some people claim, yeah, it is him. But others said, no, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insists, it's me. I am the man. The evidence cannot be dismissed. So everyone looks for an explanation. They say to the man, how did this happen? And he gives his testimony, his story. Verse 11, he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. It's such a remarkable event that they say, well, we better take him to the experts, the religious experts. There's a group of men called Pharisees who studied the Hebrew Scriptures and they were kind of community leaders as well. So they carted this man off and the religious leaders asked him for an account of what happened. And again, he gives his testimony. His interrogators don't believe the story. And they grill him further. And still they aren't satisfied, so eventually they call his parents in. And they asked him about the man and what happened to him. They said, verse 18, is, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And the response of the parents simply testifies, he is our son, he was born blind, now he can see, but we don't know how, so ask him himself because he's old enough to answer for himself. And we read in brackets, the reason they do this is because the community leaders, these religious leaders, said, said that anybody who said that Jesus was the promised Messiah that everyone was expecting would be thrown out of church and synagogue in those days, which meant being thrown out of the whole community. So the man is recalled and asked a second time, verse 24. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. 
And the man is now becoming very exasperated with this. And he replied, verse 25 of us, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Verse 25. The evidence is plain to see. The eyes of a man who was born blind have been opened by Jesus. And whatever they think about Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a moment, here is evidence that cannot be dismissed. Now, before we write them off as fools, because they didn't believe their own eyes, we do well to pause a moment and ask ourselves if we could share possibly the same attitude about Jesus. What about my response to the evidence about Jesus? There is remarkable evidence, eyewitness evidence, written about Jesus. Miracles like these that he performed. The kind of life that he lived that no one had ever seen anyone live such a perfect life. And the words that he spoke, his teaching, people said, we've never heard anything like this. It's like God speaking to us. And all the events surrounding his death. Remarkable events. And finally, his resurrection from the grave. And the sad reality I discover is that most people have not examined the evidence about Jesus and found it wanting. They've never bothered to really carefully look at the evidence. You may think a church like this is one of these churches where you hang your brain on the coat peg when you come in. It's a church where we want people to think, to look at the evidence. We've nothing to hide. If you're not a Christian this evening, maybe you come along and think, these people are off the wall, you know. Um, all I would say to you is, look at the evidence. This is not brainwashing. Look at the facts. Uh, there's a record of numerous people who've set out to disprove that Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. And particularly, the crucial fact that he didn't rise from the dead. One of them was a guy called General Lou Wallace, an American, many, many years ago. Came to a big city with his friend. And the friend said, look at all those spies and churches. How ridiculous that people worship someone called Jesus. We ought to do something to disprove it. And Lou Wallace set out to disprove the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He spent months and months researching, examining, looking at the evidence. In the end, he became so convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be that he wrote a book which became the best-winning Oscar film of all time, Ben-Hur. And that's one of many examples. So, what I want to do is to challenge you, if you're not a Christian, you've come along this evening, is to look at the evidence. There are many books that you can just read and find out about that. There's a book actually entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's available at the shop round the corner, the Wesley Owen shop. We'll probably get it in our bookstore if you want one. Ruth explained that we run a course called Christianity Explored. It runs on Monday evenings and you can come along and ask anything without any pressure, any embarrassment. That's how Ruth became a Christian, just listening to the facts. Uh, it's now in its third week and I, uh, although we had 16 new people as well last week, I'm told you can still join. It's probably about the last week of the 10-week course you could join but we'll be running future ones. But if you want to come tomorrow evening, you just turn up here in the lounge. You'll get a warm welcome. No pressure. You can ask any questions uh, that you like. Best of all, simply take a Bible and read the story about Jesus. Those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, just choose one and read it. If you haven't got a Bible, speak to someone here. We'll give you one, all right? I'm not checking this out with all the powers that be, but I'm telling you, I'll give you a Bible if you really want one to read it. And you'll be surprised. Just take it and say, if there is a God, I'm going to read this carefully with an open mind. Show yourself who you really are. Here is evidence that cannot be dismissed. And you may say, Ruth and Claire, well, I heard their story. You can dispute all sorts of things, but they're simply saying, this is what happened to me. Like the blind man, one thing I know, 
Once I was blind, now I can see. Now, arising from this story is the second theme that we've kind of touched on. Not just evidence that cannot be dismissed, but also the person who could not be ignored. The person at the heart of this story is, of course, Jesus. And the controversy arising from the miracle is not whether it really happened or not. You really couldn't get away from the fact that this guy was blind, now he can see. The question, the issue is, not the miracle, but the person who performed it. Jesus, who is he? What conclusion can you draw from the fact that there is someone here who can restore sight to people who are born blind? And as you read the story, you'll find there's a sharp division of opinion between the religious leaders on one hand and the man himself on the other. Uh, Look first at the religious leaders. They're already convinced before we start that this Jesus is a sinner. He's not from God, he's a fake. He's duping the people. The religious leaders say Jesus is a sinner. Now, in this particular instance, they've got a reason for this. They discover that this man who was born blind was healed by Jesus on Saturday. Now, you might not think that's very significant. But Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, the day of rest. And in the old part of the Bible, their scriptures, the Ten Commandments, number four said, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, you weren't to do any work. Everybody agreed about that, but no one was sure what counted as work. And they decided that healing somebody on Saturday, on the Sabbath, was work. And therefore, Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath, therefore, he must be a sinner, he couldn't have come from God. So that's why they say to the man in verse 24, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. One writer says what they really meant was, before God, own up, tell the truth. That is, Jesus is a sinner. And the man says, look, I'm not a theological expert, but all all I know is one thing, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I don't know, you're the experts here, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So they go back over old ground, verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And this time the man is running out of patience completely, verse 27. He said, I've told you already, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he's really cheeky, he says, do you want to become his disciples? That's the last thing they want. Verse 29, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. This man is a smart cookie, he replies. Now that's really remarkable. Verse 30. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Here's some of the, you know, teaching his grandmother this occasion. He says, nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But notice this is an important theme. The minds, the eyes of these religious leaders are closed. We've made up our minds, don't confuse us with the facts. And as is the door to any further discussion. Verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. End of discussion. They've not only rejected the man, they've rejected Jesus. That's their response. The conclusion they draw from this miracle is that Jesus is a sinner. And they reject him. Now notice the different response of the man concerned. It's interesting to notice the progression in his understanding. There's an underlying sort of subplot here about your eyes being opened. His eyes are not only open physically, his eyes, his understanding of who Jesus is gradually are opened till in the end he sees clearly. 
Notice first of all, when he returns home straight after the miracle, he's asked by his neighbours, how are your eyes open? And he says, well, it was this man called Jesus who did it. At the beginning he thinks Jesus is a man, which he was. Then at the first stage of the interrogation by the religious leaders, they actually ask him his opinion, verse 17. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Who do you think he is? And the man's changed his opinion. He's got a bit more understanding. He says, he's a prophet, verse 17. They made him think about who Jesus is. And in the further interrogation that follows, he's even more convinced. He says, he must come from God. No one before or since has ever healed someone in this way, the eyes of a man born blind. And it's this statement that leads to him being thrown out. Now, Jesus learns that he's been thrown out by them, and so he seeks the man out. He's not finished with him yet. Yeah, his physical eyes are open, but he needs to understand something with his spiritual understanding. So, verse 35, Jesus finds him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Might seem a funny question, but the Son of Man is a kind of code word for the Messiah which was kind of a politically loaded term and the son of man meant the same sort of thing it was drawn from one of the Hebrew prophets called Daniel and Jesus often used it of himself the man clearly understands what he's talking about verse 36 who is he sir tell me so that I may believe in him and Jesus replies now notice what he says in verse 37 you have now seen him so you didn't see him at the beginning did he because he was blind but Jesus says you have now seen him in fact, he's the one speaking with you. And at this man point, the man sees fully who Jesus is. He's not just a man, not just a prophet, not just someone sent from God, but he is God's chosen Messiah, the Son of Man. And he responds, we read, by worshipping. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The word literally means he fell down on his face in the dust before Jesus and worshipped him as God. That's a significant step for a practising Jew. And the conclusion he reaches is exactly the opposite of that of the religious leaders. They reject Jesus. This man worships Jesus. Divided opinions about Jesus. Now, if you examine the facts about Jesus, you will find that people's opinions are sharply divided about who Jesus really was and is. In fact, the reason John wrote this particular gospel, this account, was to bring this home. He actually selects very carefully seven miracles that Jesus did and records them in this Gospel. He doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. He says these are like signposts that will point you to who Jesus really is. So you get the right conclusion and the right result. And near the end of his letter, he writes this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these seven are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, not just a mental fact of belief, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that if you trust in him you'll receive God's life. You'll be changed. Early in John's Gospel, Jesus said to a religious man, you need to be born again, a radical change. Now, everyone who reads the story about Jesus, if you take me up on my offer, go to Christianity Explored, get a Bible, read it, you will come to some kind of conclusion about Jesus in the end. Most important question of all, because he is the man who cannot be ignored. C.S. Lewis, the famous classics professor who lectured at Oxford and Cambridge, was a man who examined the evidence about Jesus. He didn't want to be a Christian. He described himself ultimately as the most reluctant convert in Britain, dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. 
but he couldn't get away as a classic scholar from the evidence and in his book again which I commend you to read it's still available Mere Christianity he describes the options available to those who seriously consider what Jesus said and taught and he particularly uh, addresses people who say Jesus was a great moral teacher and he says a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell here's what he says you must make your choice either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse you can shut him up for a fool you can spit on, on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God and those are the alternatives you face when you look carefully at the evidence about Jesus who is Jesus? is he mad? bad? or is he who he claimed to be? God so let me ask you what is your opinion about Jesus? have you looked at the evidence? come to a conclusion? the answer is literally a matter of life and death so notice much more briefly the third and final theme at the end of the chapter it says the evidence that could not be dismissed the man who could not be ignored and finally the judgment that could not be averted uh, you may think as the people of Jesus day did that the most important issue is what you think about Jesus Jesus says no you're wrong there the important issue is what I think about you and the concluding words of Jesus bring this home for our response to Jesus has a dual or divisive effect on our eternal destiny look what he says in verse 39 Jesus said for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind the contrasting outcome the blind see the seeing become blind don't have time to look at it but did you notice where the chapter began they see the blind man the disciples say who sinned this man or his parents is born blind Jesus says neither I've come to do God's work because I am the light of the world the light shines into the darkness of our understanding and minds physically this man sees but those who rejected Jesus are blinded by the light they think they can see but in fact they're blinded and the more they resist Jesus the more dark their blindness becomes look what the Pharisees said verse 40 some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked what are we blind to? And Jesus said if you were blind you would not be guilty of sin but now that you claim you see your guilt remains and what is true of them is true of each one of us as we look at the evidence about Jesus if we refuse to accept his claims if we refuse to worship him as the son of God then in the words of Jesus our guilt remains because we will not see we refuse to see and for this I have to tell you we will be held responsible we are accountable this is the judgment that has come into the world and this will not be our fault but God uh, it will not be God's fault but ours the most famous verse in the Bible John 3.16 God's love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him but notice what follows in the next verses our responsibility Jesus says whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son this is the verdict the judge's verdict light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil Jesus is not only the saviour he is the judge 
the one who will pronounce judgment on all human beings. Jesus said the day is coming when the dead in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God and come out to be judged. Now somebody who's a great moral teacher alone would not have said something like that. I began with the accident that I witnessed. I doubt now whether I'll ever be called to bear witness or appear in court. And if I did, I wouldn't be too worried about it. But one day each one of us will appear before God's judgment throne. And the decisive factor will not be whether we heard about Jesus or examined the evidence, but whether we came to the right conclusion, whether we put our trust in him and received the new life and forgiveness that he offers. If we have, you need not fear God's judgment. If you have not, then you have everything to fear. So we ask you, is Jesus your saviour or your judge? It is literally a matter of life and death. Let's pray together.